Well, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever. We are in the midst of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer of Jesus. And we are moving at a very slow pace through verse 9. And so we are get two-thirds of the way through the verse today, and we'll finish it up next time. Maybe you've heard of Robert Cook. A lot of people haven't, but Robert Cook back in the day was the president of the King's College in New York City. And he was speaking one day at the Moody Bible Institute. That's a pretty big deal, I would think, wouldn't you? He was speaking at the Moody Bible Institute, and he shared that the day before he spoke, he had talked with, oh, I don't know, Vice President George Bush. Wow. And then a couple hours later, he had shared that he also briefly got to speak with President Ronald Reagan. I mean, talk about name dropping, right? But then he smiled broadly to the group that he was speaking to, and he said this, but that's nothing. Today, I talk with God. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Now, I don't have a story like that, because I've not met, uh, I've not talked with a president or a vice president, but you know, I've talked with people, you have too. It doesn't compare, though, to prayer, talking with God. What a good, healthy viewpoint on the privilege of prayer. But unfortunately, many people think of prayer as something that brings God into line with their own desires. Have you ever noticed that? It can happen to us too. We try to bring prayer, bring God into line with our own desires instead of prayer being something that brings us into line with His will. The model prayer of Jesus helps us with this attitude, with this practice of prayer. So let's go through the model prayer again. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we think about who is in heaven, in heaven today, as we've sung these great songs of worship to you, remind us that you are the audience of one, that you our, you are our great God, and we worship you, and now we pray to you, and we're instructed to pray to you, and we love you. We ask that you would work in our lives, even through simple words in your holy scripture. So thank you, God. In your name I pray. Amen. Now you remember last week, we looked at our Father, and the phrase Father in heaven that we see here in verse 9 differentiates between our heavenly Father and our earthly fathers. Do you recall that last week? We hit a chord among a significant amount of people in our church. I was amazed at how many people have a story like I do that we had to work through our earthly Father 
not knowing who our earthly father was, or maybe knowing and wish, wishing we didn't know. We have to work through that because that can affect our view of fatherhood, right? But when we see our Father in heaven, it shatters that because whatever we had, and some of you I know had great fathers and still do. Awesome. But if you did, it's okay. Go with me on the journey. With what God was dealing with you last week, just continue to walk through that and, and allow that to be shattered because our heavenly Father not the same as our earthly father. And ladies, the only reason you're off the hook is because it says father, okay? Right? Listen, there's no human relationship or human experience that can truly relate or overshadow the fact that creator God, our father in heaven, is there. And he desires to have a relationship with us. And he desires that we would spend time in prayer with him. Not to line him up, but to line us up. Amen? Think about that for a minute. So thank you for uh, being real and open to that. So we get to the phrase in the King James Version, which art in heaven. See, I memorized this in the King James Version. I'm, re I'm reading it in the New King James Version. I've read it in a lot of others. I try to memorize it in another version. You know what happens when you memorize a verse of Scripture in a number of uh, different translations? You can't even quote it. John 3.16. I can quote John 3.16, but it is a mashup of a couple different versions. So Awana kids, watch out. You're learning them all, but you learn in a different one. You might go, wait a minute, I thought I had this verse down or whatever. So uh, who, who art in heaven? Some of your translations say who is in heaven. Some simply say our Father in heaven. What I want you to see, though, from this is that this phrase, it's a Jewish expression that's found over 20 times right here in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a title for God the Father. We get reminded over and over it's a title for God the Father. And we should take note of what this means. I am reminded when something's repeated over and over in Scripture, I might want to pay attention to that and take note of that. So we should. And so we're going to do that today. Some of you know the name D.L. Moody. This is not a Moody Bible Institute D.L. Moody sermon, but it's a really good illustration to, to explain this. One time, Moody uh, was in his study, and his five-year-old son entered the study. Moody was busy writing. Oh, the boy didn't make a sound, but finally, Moody stopped and said, Well, what do you want? And his son said, nothing, Daddy. I just wanted to be where you are. Think about that for a minute. You see, that should be our desire. It matters not how busy you are. It matters not how prestigious your job is. It matters not what your family makeup is or what your calendar looks like. We should have the desire to be with Daddy and spend time with him. That should be our desire, to be with our Heavenly Father. As we pray, this occurs, our Father in Heaven. So here we are, point number one, it's not totally about Heaven. You thought it was going to be. We have to take a, back, a, a step back, and when we look at the phrase in Heaven, we have to think about some doctrine, and we have to think about a doctrinal point or truth 
And so firstly, point number one is this. God is transcendent. That's the truth we need to look at this morning. We're going to drill down on it a little bit, and we're going to spend a little bit of time with that. Transcendent. I have no idea how to spell it, but you'll figure it out. I get the E and T's and the A and C's mixed up and all that. But Simply, God has two paired characteristics. They're paired together. The first one is transcendent, which simply means, transcendence means to be above or beyond. So God is both transcendent and also he is imminent. He has imminence, which simply means to be within or near. So you want to think about those two things because not everybody understands those. The scripture is clear. So he's transcendent. Think of above, beyond. Got it? He also has imminence. He's imminent, which you think of as within or near. So why do I say they're paired together? Because we could say this, and we know God, infinite God, to be this. He is both beyond the world, and he is in the world. Aren't you glad? Maybe you didn't know these words, but aren't you glad? I am. Let's think about it for a minute, though. Because our, the- our theology as theists is different than other people. Have you heard of the pantheist? Or you, have you heard of the deist? You see, it's interesting to note the pantheist assumes God's excuse me, assumes God's imminence. Okay? He's in, but denies God's transcendence. The deist, on the other hand, affirms God's transcendence but denies his imminence. Theism, that's us, I hope that's you, affirms that God is both transcendent and imminent. Furthermore, for theists, God is in the world. Okay, he's above and beyond the world, but he's also in the world, but he's not of the world. Well, why is that important? Because pantheistic thought would say he is uh, in the world and of the world because they would say what? God is the world. You know, touch it, God. Okay, so it's important to mention those things. Are you confused yet? (laughs) Notice while the term father indicates the intimacy that we have, We talked about being adopted into the family, right? The addition of our Father in heaven speaks of his transcendence. So let's continue on with this thought a little bit more. Simply stated, God is above and beyond all creation, including humankind. That's a little different than our world today, isn't it? Right? That'll change your worldview. That'll change how you believe and think and live your life. So God is above and beyond all creation. He's transcendent, and that includes over humankind. You see, transcendence is a relational trait of God. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, see, God is infinite. Do you agree with that? God is infinite, but in relation to his universe, he is transcendent. Let me illustrate with Scripture. Let's start at the beginning of the book. Genesis 1, 1. You know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 8, 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have, I love this, you have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 57, 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. 
Let your glory be over all the earth. You get in the picture? Ephesians 4, 6. There is one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Colossians 1, 17. He is, the, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So we can say with confidence that God is before all things, he is over all things, he is beyond all things, he is above all things. We can be confident when we pray, when we say, when we meditate on our Father in heaven. And let me help bring this little transcendence uh, thought to a close here. Because I believe transcendence is anchored in three attributes of God. Here's just, for those of you who like apologetics, or those of you who are logical, here we go. You're going to love it. For the rest of you, you're going to roll your eyes and go, come on, can we, can, we, can we move on? All right. But here it is, three attributes. I think I listened in the sermon notes. The first one, they're very simple. His infinity. God is infinite. Creation is finite. So God transcends all creation. Do you see that? It's pretty hard to argue with. Number two, here's another attribute of God, his sovereignty. The Bible teaches that God is in sovereign control over the universe, even holds it together. This puts him beyond all creation. Thus, the one who is beyond all creation is transcendent. And number three, his majesty, that's another attribute that illustrates this. His majesty is exalted, the scripture says, beyond all else. And what is exalted beyond all else is, guess what? Say it, transcendent. You've got it, we've got it. I really want you to think about that. Well, what's the big deal, Lamar? It's just, are you just trying to use a big word? No, the big deal is this. We live in a crazy, mixed-up world. Would you agree with that? If you don't know that, where you been? Get out in the marketplace and in the neighborhoods and begin to try to make a difference, to be intentional and, and influential, and you will discover we live in a crazy, mixed-up world. And this truth, this doctrine, is important because it totally affects your worldview, how you view the world. And I'm going to go one step further and say, I think this truth, this doctrine, transcendence of God, can be a comfort for those who are seeking. Now, we don't run into every person we, we run into. They're not all seeking. But you know what? A surprising amount of folks are seeking. They're trying to find purpose, meaning. Is it God? What is it? Something. It's got, there's got to be more, right? There's got to be more. This can be a comfort. We know the more, do we not? Amen? We know the more. We know God who is above and over and beyond this whole universe. He's the creator, and yet he is often also near and dear, and there he is. I think it could be comforting. So when we pray our Father in heaven, let us just remember the transcendence of God. Well, let's move on to point number two. Now that we know about transcendence, we have a response to God's transcendence. We have a response. You see, every doctrine or every truth, 
Every part of theology that we hold near and dear requires a response from us. Are you, are you understanding that? A lot of people do not live the abundant life that God has promised. Why? Because we do not have the proper responses to the truth about God, His love, His mercy, His grace, His attributes. So here's at least five. There's probably more. I know you scholars out there could probably give some more, but I pick five. Also, I know what time we have to get done today. So we have a certain amount of time. Here we go. Here's, at least for me, here's a response and it's dealing with, Scripture deals with it, uh, on how I should respond to transcendent God. It's unbelievable. The first one is a sense of awe. Now, we read just a minute ago, Psalm 8, 1, where we learn that even God's name is, what, majestic in all the earth, and His glory is above the heavens. So we should respond to our Father in heaven in this way with a sense of awe. And I would just ask you, uh, when is the last time you experienced awe? Have you experienced awe recently? It's a danger for those of us who call ourselves Christians for many years. Listen closely. That's some of you and me in here. It is easy to lose the awe because it gets comfortable, right? The glove fits. Wait, that's, I can't, that's not a good reference. I'm sorry. You, you know what I mean. Like if it, you broke in the glove and it fits good. Okay, let me think of something else. <laughs> the shirt fits. I don't know. You get the idea, though. When we're saved, it, it's all, everything is all. New discoveries. Everything, it's, it's amazing. I can't believe it. What? What about God? All this. And, and as the more we know and the longer we go, we have to be careful not to lose our sins of all. So I would ask you today, church, when's the last time you prayed, Our Father in heaven, and you had awe just thinking about his majesty and his glory. The second response, a sense of our own insignificance. Psalm 48.1 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain. And we could read scripture after scripture that talks about how great he is. We sing about how great is our God on and on and on. And what we need to, how we need to respond to his transcendence is this. We are not God. You ever met someone who acted like they were God? Come on, your boss maybe? <laughs> Hopefully not a spouse, maybe <laughs> parent or friend. What? Oh, uh, Lynn and I watched this one show. I'm not going to say what it is because you guys will judge us, but uh, it's, a, it's a vocal competition. And one judge on the end said to the new judge the other day, you always got to get the last word in on me. And that was significant to me because that, that reminded me of the fact that uh, we are not God. No matter how talented we are, how strategic we are, how much expertise we have in a certain field, whatever, we are not God. Let me take it a step further as you think about our own insignificance. Not only are we not God, but here's what I would say. We're not even close. Amen? We're not even close. So when we respond to God's transcendence, there should be a sense of awe, a sense of our own significance. Why? Because we have a sense of sinfulness. Do you remember Isaiah 6 that Gregory preached on? 
recently? Isaiah 6 gives us the proper response, this response. What did Isaiah say? He saw the Lord and he says what? Woe to me. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's the proper response. It's the right response. Whenever we take God seriously and whenever we view him in his word, it always shines a flashlight on our sinfulness. Again, I've told you many times, the Christian that comes up to me and has it all together and says life is great, life is perfect, my marriage is perfect, everything is just, everything is just perfect, and I'm just, it's like they're not a sinner at all. And I'm like, they scare me. No, we battle, I don't know about you, we, we battle sinful tendencies and thoughts and attitudes, do we not? And even actions sometimes. If not daily, weekly. And if not weekly, monthly. Maybe you're having a good month, but guess what? Sin's going to pop into your life when you're not ready for it, okay? So, let us respond with this sense of sinfulness. By the grace of God, and that I am going through life letting God chip away at me, it removes the hypocrite response from them. It's like, no, sinners, come on. You're a sinner, come on and join the other sinners. So we need to have that sense of sinfulness. It comes from our sense of insignificant. And number four is the sense of submission. As you read Philippians 2, and we We've sung about it. We've spoke about it. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, our Father in heaven. So again, I ask you as I started before the sermon this morning, will it be too late for you when that day comes, when Jesus comes back and claims his children, his adopted children, Christians, for the eternal kingdom of heaven? Will you have dealt with the question, what do you do with Jesus? Will you have repented and turned from your sin? Because a proper response to God's transcendence is a sense of submission. And then the last one is a sense of reverence. It kind of goes along with awe. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Isn't that definitive? Isn't that amazing to think about that? I just want to spend a moment right now. We're going to pray. Can we pray in the middle of the sermon? It's on prayer. I think we can. So you're not going to get with other folks. You're just going to pray right now. I didn't alert anyone. Jana's not going to run up here and play uh, background music or anything. But let's just pray for a minute. And I want you to ask God. I want you to pray our Father in heaven. And just ask him to reveal the proper response right now in your life to him. It may be one of these. It may be something totally different. So let's spend a power minute or so in prayer right now alone, just you and yourself with God. Ready, set, pray.
O God, our God in heaven, hear the prayers of your children. God, remove my intelligence, remove my experience, my education, all those things, and let me focus on surrender and submission to you, reverence and all. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see, as we pray, our Father in heaven, our lives should respect, should reflect, excuse me, these responses. So let's go to point three and finally get to where you thought we were going today. And that's uh, point number three, talking about heaven a little bit. And, and I have two words in point three, location and, I'm going to challenge you today, location and elevation. You've heard of that, elevation, all right? I mean, we live by the Rocky Mountains. We should know a little bit about that, shouldn't we? But let's talk for a minute about uh, location and elevation. Of course, you've heard, especially in the last few years, location, 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 right? I mean, there was a frenzy going on in Albuquerque and around our country for a while on location, location, location. Of course, that's talking about real estate. But perhaps we think location, location, location when we see the word heaven. By the way, it's translated uh, more than just your th streets of gold or whatever you're thinking. You know, the, the word heaven is used in different ways in, in the New Testament. In fact, if you'll study, sometimes it's plural and not singular. Okay, but that's for a whole nother day. But what I want you to think about and realize that location is important. And it's important to realize that heaven, our Father in heaven, that heaven is a real place and that God is there. Right here we see it and other places in Scripture we see it. God is there. In fact, Jesus is there. John 14 tells us what? Jesus is there preparing a place for us if we're true believers. And the promise of heaven is sure and strong. Someday we might do an in-depth study on heaven, but it's dangerous because people have different views. But Randy Alcorn has a really good study on that that you might look at. Really is very helpful. But, uh, you know, and I know there's movies out there, all dogs go to heaven and, and this and that and what, what relationships are going to be like. We're all missing the point when we have our little questions about heaven. You know why? Because they're all me-centered, are they not? When you're asking about marriage in heaven, that's me-centered. When you're watching the movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven, you're, you're being me-centered. When you have this take or that take, it is. But what I want us to realize just is that location, it is sure. And it is solid. And it is strong. And it is heaven. And God is there. Jesus is preparing a place there. So it's a blessing to pray knowing our Father who cares for his adopted children, is, Scripture tells us, enthroned in heaven. This means that he has the power to act on our behalf. So now we're moving to a different thought, and I want us to really focus in on this for the rest of the sermon. Think about the power that God, who is he's enthroned in heaven, the power he has to act upon our behalf. So let's think about more than just location of God in heaven. I want us to think about his power and his authority. And the word I like to use is elevation. 
There are some scholars that will use that word, and I want you to think about it. If you don't like the word elevation, that's okay. It's signifying for me power and authority. Listen, I don't want to pray to someone or something that doesn't have power and authority. What about you? And I think of the millions, the hundreds of millions in our world right now that are praying sometimes five times a day or more to something or someone or whatever that has no power and no authority, at least eternally, right? So let us think about that, elevation. This word portrays less about location and more about authority and what God, our Father, can do. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. This is, I love this verse. Psalm 115.3, our, our God is in the heavens and he does, are you ready? All that he pleases. Boy, that brings me down a rung. Does that you? He's not that interested in what I please. Or what I want to do, right? If it was the case, the Broncos would be undefeated. Right? My truck would be raised up a little higher. I'd have bigger wheels. I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? No. It's he does all that he pleases. Hmm. You see, in the model prayer of Jesus, he's teaching us right here that the true perspective in prayer is moving the focus off of us and moving it, elevating it, if you will, heavenward on God. Psalm 123.6, I lift my eyes to you, the one enthroned in heaven. Isaiah 6, again, we've talked about that, many of you know that, but remember how it starts off? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Wouldn't you like to be Isaiah? I saw the Lord. But how does, what's the descriptor? Seated on a high and lofty throne. Church, we must elevate our spiritual vision. We must elevate our prayers. We must get plugged into the power and authority of our Father in heaven. I'm going to talk fast. I'm going to give you a bunch of things that I want you to think about. Heaven, not so much as streets of gold or not so much as where exactly is it but more about elevation elevation I'll get it right in a minute man I'm glad I could have said evolution right there that would have been really bad we'd had to take a time out and fix all that right there but here here's some things to think about why it should be easy for us to elevate our spiritual vision to elevate our prayers to our God in heaven here it is God number one God exists in a realm where there are no restraints you might write down no restraint he's enthroned in heaven guess what he's got power and authority there are no restraints are there restraints here on the world here today there are restraints you guys can only endure a certain amount of time of preaching I understand that it has something to do with how God made your backside I get it no restraints. Secondly, elevate and see God enthroned in heaven. There are no crises. Oh man, we go through crisis after crisis, don't we? There are no crises. There are no recessions. Hello. There are no strikes where God is enthroned in heaven. He has all power and authority. Let's keep going. There's no unrest present there. Did you know that? In heaven, there is no unrest. Is there unrest in our city right now? You better believe it. 
There is no unrest there. Furthermore, there are no shortages in the factories of God's grace. There's no supply chain disruption in heaven. There are no disputes on his assembly lines in his workplaces. There's no faults in his communication system. Listen, our Father in heaven, we elevate our prayer and our vision spiritually to him and his power and his authority. We see that his resources infinitely exceed your requirements. Whatever you might think you require of God, his resources are infinite and they blow that away. And his sufficiency, let's think about that for a minute. His sufficiency surpasses every demand you may have. Put your demands on God. I'm fine with that. Why? Because God is sufficient. And he will either change your demands or he will meet your demands if they're proper. He is sufficient. And in John chapter 6, verse 38, we read that Jesus came down from heaven not to do his own will but his father's will do you see the picture do you see the emphasis Jesus even walking on earth elevated our father in heaven power and authority of God almost done here we as his adopted children also should only do his will as we elevate and as we pray our father in heaven and as we acknowledge and inhabit and realize his power and his authority, we get the power and authority ourselves to go walk through this life and do his will and follow the example of Jesus, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. I want to leave you with some good news. All the resources of heaven are available to us when we trust God as our heavenly supplier when we elevate and realize he has the power the authority he has the resources remember we just studied he already knows what we need before we ask wow a couple verses here Philippians 419 I know it's taken out of context sometimes, but just, just think about it for a moment that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, right, in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. This is incredible. We pray, we must, our Father in heaven. That must be our heart's desire to recognize God that way. So as we close, I want you to remember something. Remember that um, our job in prayer is not to inform God, he already knows, but is to enjoy God. When we think about our Father in heaven, that should cause us to enjoy him and his resources, and his power, and his authority. Let us enjoy him. Let us seek him and his elevation instead of just only a blessing that we might get from him. We'll get to it sometime later this year, but in Matthew chapter 6, we come to the second part of verse 32 and verse 33. Let me read it. 
Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You can go look at the list, okay? But seek first, you know it, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then we read in Philippians chapter 3, as we get through chapter 3, we see this remarkable statement for those of us who are true believers. Our citizenship is in heaven. Have you thanked God today or this past week that your citizenship is in heaven? I don't think everybody can say, oh, I did that this week. We get busy. We get studying something else. We got kids and grandkids. We got to balance the bank statements, right? We got to do all these things. We got a deadline to meet whether it's family-related or work-related or whatever, all these things come up. We've got a test, a paper that's due. All these things come up, and sometimes we forget just to realize the great benefit that when God saved you, you and I were adopted into his family and his kingdom, and Scripture tells us our citizenship is not here but in heaven where he is enthroned, Scripture says, where he has all power, authority, resources. Transcendent God, our Father. Let's pray like this, our Father in heaven. Would you join me in prayer? God, I do pray this morning that you would renew in us uh, just uh, a journey with a couple simple words in heaven. God, I pray that we, every, including myself this week, all of us sitting here watching online, that we would ponder what it means, our Father in heaven, and that we would ponder the fact that you are involved in our everyday lives, and yet you are also above and over and beyond all things. You are a Father our Heavenly Father. God, may you remove fear from our lives. God, may you remove anxiety from our lives. Because when we have these things, God, I don't believe we're truly praying our Father in heaven. God, through these emotions and others, remove those from our lives. Because they show that we might think, well, your power is not quite enough, God. Your authority is not quite enough for me, God. Help us to truly live knowing that where you are, Father, there are no restraints. And you are all-powerful and all authority is yours. God, may you work in our lives. May you continually change us. May we be different next week than today. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's hearing my voice right now, those that might watch in days or weeks or months to come, and they hear my voice, I pray, God, that they would ponder, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Lord, I pray you would draw people, men and women and boys and girls,
to yourself. You will show them their need of repentance. You will show them that they need to turn from their sin and run to you and ask for forgiveness. And recognize that God, you are the one who saves and that you can transform their life. You can adopt them into your family. You can be their savior and their Lord, their boss, their master. God, I pray for this before it's too late. Lord, I don't know when that return is, but I know we're one week closer than we were. And signs of the times, prophecies fulfilled, it appears to me that we're getting closer and closer, God. I pray that we would weep for the lost. Lord, today I pray that those who are not yet saved by you, that that would occur today and in days to come. In Jesus' name I pray.